many books, movies, speeches that have famous first lines that we know well. We hear those lines and we immediately know the book, the reference of what's going on. Sometimes we know the reference or we've heard the opening line even though we don't know the rest of the book. Even if we haven't even read the book, you may recognize the line as a famous line. So we're going to do a quiz here, a few of them. So one is, call me Ishmael. Moby Dick, right? Ishmael, they hunt for this great white whale. All right, friends, Romans, countrymen, lend me your ears. Comes from Julius Caesar, William Shakespeare's play, Mark Antony's speech. We the people, in order to form a more perfect union. The U.S. Constitution, right? So, these lines like this, or a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, right? Yeah, you knew that was coming, right? So, or... It was the best of times, it was the worst of times. Tale of Two Cities by Charles Dickens. Four score and seven years ago. Abe Lincoln. So these lines are over these opening lines that tell us something and they call to mind. And so if I were to stand up here and say one of those lines, or if I were to begin a book or a passage with one of those lines, one you might say, well, wait, wait, he's stealing from something. But it might also begin to put into your mind a lot of other images. If I were to stand up and say, friends, Romans, countrymen, lend me your ears, you might say, well, what's, what's going on here? Is he trying to be Mark Antony? Is he trying to be Shakespeare? What's happening? And so this is part of it. And why I'm sharing this is we're thinking about these opening lines of the Gospel of Mark. And John borrows from another famous opening line, and we're going to come back to that idea and how John does that same thing, how he uses another opening line to set him up. But some preliminary thoughts first is, one is, Bobby Joe mentioned, this is the first Sunday in Advent. And so Advent is the season, and Advent simply means coming. And so the church for a thousand plus years has practiced the liturgical or the ecclesial, the church year, and it's a way to remember the life and the story of Jesus. And the church year begins with Advent, this time of coming, a time of expectation, and then goes into Christmas. And then after the Christmas season, there's the season of Epiphany, the season when we see the manifestation of Jesus. And then the season of Epiphany leads into the season of Lent, which is the time of preparation for Easter, when we celebrate the death and resurrection of Jesus. And then coming out of Easter, we enter the season of Pentecost, where we remember the work of the Holy Spirit, not only on the day of Pentecost, but God's ongoing work. And then we return back to the season of Advent. And it's this long cycle that reminds us and kind of sets our minds in the idea behind a church as it practices this year. As we go through those things, we remind ourselves, one, that Jesus is at the center of things. It reminds us of all those rhythms of life. We all have our own calendars. We're kind of stuck on this calendar. It's January through December for some of us. But some of you, maybe if you're a student or you work in the schools, your calendar is a little different. The year almost begins in what? August or September, doesn't it? And it goes through May or June. And, and so it's a different kind of year. Farmers have their own kind of year based on planting and harvesting. But the church, we say, this is what orders our life. This is what we base our life around is this season of Advent, this church year, and in particularly the season of Advent. And along with Advent, there are a number of traditions. One is the lighting of the candles, which is probably a somewhat fairly recent tradition, but the idea of darkness and light have long been associated with Advent, and 
Some of you may be looking and saying, why do we have blue candles? I thought they were supposed to be purple, and they're supposed to be a pink one. There's all kinds of ideas about the colors for the candles. And there's different ways to do it, and there's not one right way. The blue represents, has a different representation than the purple, but it's just different choices. But the symbol in part is the light and this reminder of the slowly growing light that begins, ultimately leads us to Jesus. Along with the liturgical year, the church calendar, are also a series of readings. And so they go through all through the year, and we've done those typically during Advent. And so you heard Karen read some of those. And so typically the liturgical readings for a year, or what they call the lectionary, has four readings. There's an Old Testament reading, there's a psalm, there's a New Testament reading, and a gospel. And you might think, well, wait a minute, aren't the gospels in the New Testament? The gospels are in the New Testament, but those are typically separate readings. So the New Testament reading is anything that's not a gospel, and then there's a gospel reading. So we heard some of those today. We heard an Old Testament reading, and then a psalm, and then a New Testament reading from Thessalonians, and then the gospel reading from John. So that's kind of this progression of what's going on. And, and the gospel we are going to be looking at during Advent is the gospel of John. And so there are four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Or a better way to say it is there's one gospel with four different authors. And so it's really the gospel. So we have Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the gospel according to Matthew. The gospel according, there's not four different gospels. There's one gospel. It's all about Jesus but four different writers that tell different ways, and they have different perspectives. And as, if you've ever read the four different Gospels, you read Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and they, they, they're similar in many ways. They have some of the same stories, some of the same writing style. And then you come to John, and John just feels really different. The language is different. The way he speaks is different. Even the way Jesus seems to speak in the Gospel of John is a little bit different. And so we're looking at this Gospel of John but in order to understand what we're doing in the Gospel of John and what's happening here is we need to turn to the end of the Gospel of John or near the end of the Gospel of John in John chapter 20. And so in John chapter 20, near the end, in verse, beginning at verse 30, I'm gonna, it says, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. In other words, John tells us, this is what the purpose of my gospel is written. This is why I have written it, so that you can have life and life in Jesus. And so when we read through John, all of John, we want to keep that in mind. It helps us understand why he wrote what he wrote. He wrote for a purpose so that we would believe that we would either come to believe or that we would continue believing that Jesus is the Messiah, the Christ, the anointed one, God's rescuer, and that we would put our faith, we would put our trust, we would put our allegiance in Him, and through that, then we would have life in Him. So as we read through this, we'll be seeing it. And so we're going to be doing something in Advent. We're going to be looking at these first 18 verses of the Gospel of John for all four Sundays of Advent. All four Sundays, that's going to be our gospel reading, and it's going to accomplish a couple things. One is it's going to allow us to spend some time in this one passage, because as we enter this passage from John, as you heard it read, it's poetic, it's almost like this opera, it's this music, and it's all these, it's loaded with images, and it really sets up the rest of the gospel, which does two purposes for us. Like I said, not only it allows us to meditate and see, really see all these 
images and pictures that John is pointing here. But it's also going to set us up because starting after Christmas, we're going to begin a new series looking at the Gospel of John. And this opening 18 verses, really kind of a prologue, if you will, sets up so many of the images and ideas that come along. So you'll be hearing it through Advent, but then we'll pick it up again after Christmas and hear some of these things that are going on. But as I said, John picks for his opening line, he did another famous first line. What does he say? He says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So those first three words, in the beginning, those occur anywhere else in the Bible. Page one, right? The very first opening words of the Bible are in the beginning. And so John is doing something here. Just as if I started a book with Call Me Ishmael or It Was the Best of Times, It Was the Worst of Times, or I stood up and started a speech with four score and seven years ago, all of a sudden all kinds of images and ideas would come in your mind here. And you would also say, wow, he's being kind of bold here. And John's being bold here. He's claiming something significant. He's saying that what I'm writing here is as, as significant as those opening lines of the Bible. What I'm going to tell, this story I'm going to tell is as, as, as significant as the story that's told in the opening chapters of Genesis. And what's told in the opening chapters of Genesis? The creation of all that is, seen and unseen. But something else is going on is because it's about how, not only how God created the world, but it's introducing us to this God who becomes the, is the God of Israel. And so it's saying two things. It's one, it's saying that God created everything, but it's also saying the God of Israel is the creator God. And so there's these, all these different things going on. And so John is inviting us to kind of begin to think of that. He starts within the beginning, and all of a sudden, we, whoa, we go way back. Opening line of Genesis, though, is in the beginning, and what's the next word? God. And so we hear those lines, just as if I were to say four score and seven. We say, in the beginning, God, but John doesn't do that. What does he do? In the beginning was the Word. All of a sudden, we're, whoa. We're expecting to hear about God, and now we're hearing about the Word, or this Greek word, the, the logos, or the logos. And so we're getting all these ideas that are going on. But is John introducing something new or something old? Well, again, if we know the story that takes place in Genesis chapter 1, when it says, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, how does God create the heavens and the earth? He speaks. Or we, we could say he uses his words, right? Or as it says in Psalm 33, it says, by the word of the Lord the heavens were made, their starry host by the breath of his mouth. And so John is setting all this up and saying, by, in the beginning was the word, and the word of the Lord is the one by which the heavens were made. And that's exactly what John goes on and says. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made, and without him nothing was made that has been made. And so John is taking this idea of the word and putting more and more into it. He's saying, 
What else about the Word? It's not God, God's just spoken Word, but the Word was with God and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Which when you read it at first, you kind of go, wait a minute. Think about that. The Word was with God and the Word was God. Well, which is it? Is it the Word with God or is the Word God? And so he's beginning to set up and create an idea in our mind of what's going on, that the Word is God, but the Word is also distinct. That there's these two things going on in this idea. And so John's creating this image of the Word is God and the Word is distinct from God. And then later on, he tells us something else about the Word in this significant verse down in verse 14, where it says, The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us, and we have seen His glory the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. So now we're told the Word. What do we know about the Word so far? The Word was God. The Word was with God. So the Word is God, but the Word is also distinct from God. And now we learn that the Word becomes flesh. In other words, becomes human and lives among us. And later on, John goes and tells us who this Word is, because up until this point, all we have is this idea of the Word. And John introduces the Word, and the Word goes by a name, and the name is Jesus. And so there's this picture that John is beginning to create and taking all these different images and ideas. And so you can begin to see how much goes on in just a few verses. How John is writing and putting all these ideas and things together, and he's telling us something about Jesus. He's making some important claims about who Jesus is, and that's what I want us to focus on today. He's telling us something about Jesus. He's saying that Jesus is God, but he's distinct from God the Father. And so there's this doctrine we've developed to try and understand that we call the Trinity. To say there is one God, three persons, all fully God, but they're distinct. So the Father is not the Son, the Son is not the Spirit, but all three are God. And so one plus one plus one equals one, and there's no, there's no analogy that works. And we could spend a whole sermon talking about the Trinity, but we're not going to focus on that. But what we're seeing here is this idea that Jesus is the creator. He's going to tell us that Jesus is the creator of all things. And that's exactly what he says. Through him, all things were made. So what does all mean? All, right? He doesn't say, well, some things were made through Jesus. Everything was made through Jesus. So that tells us that Jesus was not made, Right? Jesus is not a created being. He's not part of creation. But instead, all things are created through Jesus. And so, when John introduces us here, he's setting up this story and he's telling us a story. In some sense, he's saying, I'm going to tell you a creation story. If, he's, if he starts a story within the beginning, well, what does the in the beginning allude to? It's a story of creation. And so when John says in the beginning, he's saying, I'm going to tell you a creation story, or in this sense, a new creation, because in Genesis, what has happened? God creates a world, but it becomes corrupted because people choose to go their own way. And then God begins to set things right, and we begin to see that here in the book of John, where Jesus is making all things new. And so there's hints later in the gospel I invite you, if you want, you'll read ahead in the Gospel of John. It's okay. it's okay to read ahead, to jump ahead to the story. Because remember, we already looked at chapter 20, so we know why John was telling the story. 
But this idea of a new creation of God making all things new through Jesus, and Jesus being the new creation, doesn't just happen here. Just give you two hints of it. We're not going to turn and look at the verse. But later in the story, okay, spoiler alert, Jesus is crucified, dies, and then God raises him from the dead. And in John's gospel, the way John tells the story of the resurrection, one of the women, they come to the tomb and they find the tomb empty. And John makes a point of telling us where the tomb is. And he tells us where is the tomb? In a garden. Huh. Where have we heard about gardens before? Genesis chapter 1. And 2, there's a garden. And then when Mary, that woman, turns around and sees Jesus, she thinks he's what? The gardener. Do you think John is trying to tell us something? And, and I'm not saying that that didn't happen and John is making it up. But what is John doing? Just like each of the other gospel writers, they pick and they choose details to make certain points. It's just like when we tell stories. If we tell a story about a family vacation, you can't narrate every single minute of the family vacation, can you? Well, you could. <laughs> but people might stop listening after a very short time. But instead, if you were to take a family of four on a vacation and you were to ask each of the four what happened on vacation, you might get four different, different stories, same vacation, and some of them might highlight different things. Some might highlight the places they visited. One might highlight the foods they ate. And each one is telling the same story but highlighting different things, and that's what John does here. He begins us thinking when he says, in the beginning, he says, this is a creation story, just like Genesis. And then throughout the gospel, he adds these little things, little hints and little clues along the way to remind us of that when he's saying that Jesus is the source of new creation, the one who brings and restores creation. And so when it comes to the resurrection, and John makes the point and says, oh, by the way, the tomb's in a garden. We stop and say, well, why is John talking about gardens? Oh, because he's talking about a creator. And he says, well, Mary mistook him for a gardener. Instead of, John could have just said, well, Mary turned around and didn't know who he was. She thought he was somebody else. But instead, he makes the point and says, she thought he was the gardener. And you think, why is that little detail in there? Why? Because John is wants to take us back to this story of what's going on and what's happening in the very beginning. And so we're looking at this and we're saying, John is activating this idea of Jesus as the creator. And what does the creator do? Creates and what gives life. And so in John chapter 1, verse 4, where, what does it say? It says, in him, in who? In the word, in Jesus, was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. And so Jesus, or John, is beginning to get us in our minds that this is what's happening, that in Jesus is life, that he's the creator, that he's bringing life to all these things and these things. And so even here in this story, we see more and more echoes of those things because, and I'm sorry, I keep going back to this, but 
Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the first day, he does what? Creates light. Separates the light from the darkness. And John does what here? He starts talking about light. Or he says light and life. But he's saying in him was life. All that was made through him. In other words, all that is alive, John is saying, is alive with his life. Which takes us back to what John said at the end, which you remember he said what? He said, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that in believing in his, that by believing you may have life. So John starts at the beginning, he says, in him was life. And then at the end he's saying, these are all written so that you may have life. And so he's putting all these things together. There's a scholar named Richard Bauckham who has a great quote. It's a fairly long quote. I'm going to read a little bit of it for you. And so he's talking about the Gospel of John here, and he says, Each story has been coordinated with other parts of the narrative so that stories acquire more layers of meaning than the surface one. In other words, as it's going along, it's taking and it's drawing on different images. And then he goes on, he says, This book, in other words, the Gospel of John, was written not only to make sense to the first-time readers, In other words, we can read the Gospel of John. You could just sit down and read the Gospel of John and get the idea behind what's going on. You come to John 3.16. What? For God so loved the world that whoever, you know, that he sent his only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have what? Have life. And then at the end it goes on and talks about life. So we get the idea that if we just read this Gospel, this Gospel is telling us that in Jesus is life. You could read it one time through, and I think you would get that idea. But Bauckham says, this book was written not only to make sense to first-time readers, but it was also to be designed to be studied in order to yield its full cornucopia of meaning. That's a great word, cornucopia. Thanksgiving, you know, we think of these giant, full cornucopia of meaning to only the most attentive of students. In other words, what Bauckham is saying is, we need to be students and pay attention to all these things, all these links between light and life and gardens and life. And then he concludes this quote. He says, it's frequently riddling character, which if you read the Gospel of John, I mean, it's, there's times it's pretty baffling. I mean, it's not, if I'm going to sit down and just, I want an easy read, I'm going to pick Matthew, Mark, or Luke. You read John, it's, it's a little baffling. If Jesus sometimes when he talks about eating his flesh and all, it's confusing. But he said, it's meant to tease the intelligence and entice its readers into its world of multi-dimensional meanings. And so these images that are introduced in the prologue in John 1, 1 through 18, are all these ideas, and, and we'll see light and life, and we'll see those themes come up, light and darkness come up again and again in the gospel. The word and flesh, all these ideas are coming and being introduced. There's a lot more to come. Like I said, we're going to spend four weeks on this, and we're only at, we only got down to about verse 5 or so, right, with a hint of verse 14. But we're going to take time, and as we look over the next four weeks, we're, we're going to look back and forth, and we're going to explore, and sometimes we'll be in verse 1, sometimes in verse 14, and exploring these multidimensional meanings, how John introduces an idea and then brings it up later, and how maybe he calls back to something else from the Old Testament, just as he used in the beginning to bring up these images of creation. So, but we ask ourselves, okay, what do we take away from this then? What might we take away from this? And I want to introduce, 
invite you to think about two takeaways from what we're looking at today. And the first is this idea of who Jesus is. And we said what? Jesus is the creator God. That he is God, that he is not simply a human being. There's a temptation sometimes to make Jesus simply into a good teacher. Many of the cults, so the Jehovah's Witnesses and the Mormons and others, will say Jesus is simply a created being, that he's something less than that. And even for us, we like the image of human Jesus. I mean, I like, you know, like Jesus, my buddy, you know, who's there with me. And that's a part of who Jesus is. But John also wants us to remember that Jesus is fully God. That when we see Jesus in the Gospels, we're seeing God. We're going to come back to that idea in a couple of weeks and explore that more fully. But when we talk about Jesus, we're talking about God. And so when he says, the Word became flesh, he's saying that God himself took on flesh. That he became human. That when Jesus was walking around, he wasn't something less than. And it also tells us that the person who died on a cross there outside of Jerusalem was God. This is not your typical story in any other religion. I don't know of any other religion in which the God chooses to die on behalf of the people. Many times the people are asked to die on behalf of the God, or the gods kill another God. But here's a totally different story, and so John is setting this up, and so he's wanting us to think all through this story as we hear all these stories of Jesus and the things he's saying and ultimately what he does, we want to have in our mind that this is God himself. That it isn't less than God. It isn't that Jesus is more than just a good teacher. So that's one takeaway. And so consequently, Jesus himself is worthy of worship. Second takeaway that we might draw from this is that Jesus is life. In that phrase there, in him was life. In other words, if we long for life, and not just eternal life, but if we long for life, and Jesus says it later on in this gospel, life to the full, if we long for life, there is only one place to find it, and that's in Jesus. We come back to this idea again and again of how we as people look for life in so many different places. We look to find our source of life in our success, the things we do, the things we accumulate, our status, all those different ways. And John is telling us that there is only one source of life. If you want to find life, including eternal life, the only place to find it is in Jesus. If you want to have life in this life, It comes only from Jesus. If you want to have life in the next, if you want to have eternal life, the only way to find it is Jesus. You can't get there by doing it yourself. You can't get there through good deeds or by earning your way, by tricking your way in. But the only way to find life is through Jesus himself. And by, as John says what? By putting or believing or trusting, putting your faith, putting your allegiance in him. So what John might be asking us as we enter into this Advent season is, where are you finding life? 
Are you, where are you looking for life? Are you looking for life in all these other places? Because John says there is only one place to find life. There is only one source of life, and that's Jesus. And John is inviting and saying, if you seek life, life in this life, life to the full in this life, and life eternal, there's only one place, and that's in Jesus. And he invites you then to give your life to him to put your trust in Him and find life. Because in Him is life, and that life was the light of all mankind. And then He goes on, we'll just end with this, He's saying, because sometimes we think, oh, but what about all the other stuff going on in the world? But I don't know, if I give my life to Him, what about all the bad things that happen? And John ends the opening paragraph there. The light shines in the darkness. There's life in the darkness. And the darkness, what? Has not overcome it. So may you find life in Jesus this Advent season. Amen.